good to see you all. And uh, I mentioned to Pastor, it's a delight to preach in chapel here for college. It's a little different than preaching chapel for teenagers. But as I look across the room, a lot of you were teenagers that I once preached to as well. <clears throat> it's good to see you maturing and growing up, even Daniel. <laughs> it's good, I can see some real growth there in Daniel for sure. Maturing. <clears throat> Maybe some of you question that. <laughs> no. You can take your Bibles this morning to John chapter 14, so we'll spend most of our time, though we'll have several other portions of Scripture to look at as well. If I was to title the message, I think I would call it Good News. Jesus is in heaven today. <clears throat> Have you had any good news yet this morning? I trust you did in your devotions or in your class, but maybe you had some bad news in class this morning, I don't know. But in chapel, you will receive some good news if I preach what the Lord wants me to. And so <clears throat> we're going to look in John 13 through 16 and 17, really, there's a lot of good news that happens in there, and Jesus is trying to teach his disciples something. And I thought it was interesting how the Lord put this on my heart even before Easter, and then obviously we just celebrated the resurrection this last Sunday. And then I'm preaching today on this theme, that is Jesus is trying to help his disciples understand what's going to happen after he goes through this next week of his life of the crucifixion and death and resurrection. And then he's telling his disciples he's going to leave them, and this is actually good news for you. It's a little bit hard for them to understand and take, but nevertheless, that's the reality, and that's what I want to talk about here. It's good news that Jesus is in heaven today, and we're going to ask the question, why is that good news? And there's three different points, and honestly, there's a lot of points that we could be looking at. Even from these few chapters, there's more than what we are going to talk about here this morning. And I also wanted to mention, well, let me ask, how many of you have read Dr. Flanders' book, Dwelling in Beulah Land? I believe that's the title, or Beulah Land. Okay, a few of you. It's a good book to read. And uh, I have to admit that as I was reading that, and the Lord put this message on my heart, and really there's a lot of thoughts from the message here this morning that come from that book. So I wanted to give credit there as well and recognize Dr. Flanders and his work that he's put into discovering and writing about some of these truths. But nevertheless, it's God's word, and so we can preach it here this morning, and I trust it will be a blessing. So John 14 and verse 1, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. John chapter 16 and verse 6, But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. And then back in John 13 and verse 36, Peter's asking, where are you going, Lord? Jesus answered him, whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Jesus is preparing the disciples, as I said, for some events coming up that aren't going to be very pretty, and the disciples aren't going to want to see it. There's going to, in a sense, be sorrow in their hearts. There's going to be that temptation to fear, to worry, to be questioning and trying to figure out what is happening and as we know, the disciples did not quite fully grasp this. They did not understand 
what Jesus was talking about, and even as he's going through it, they still are really struggling understanding what all is happening. So, whither I go, thou canst not follow me, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. And I think there's a couple of physical points to what Jesus is saying there, as well as spiritual. He's about to go through a week of torture and trial, and the disciples aren't going to follow him through that. And he's also about to go to heaven, and they're not going to follow him there either. But afterwards, after his resurrection and after the crucifixion and all these events, he's telling them, you're going to follow me. Jesus is going to go to heaven, and you're going to follow me. And so Jesus is teaching his disciples some really important truths that I think will be helpful for us today in the age that we live in and the reality that Jesus is in heaven. And this is good news. I want to discover that here this morning. And again, I understand these are truths and realities that we all know and are familiar with, but it's something that we never fully understand until we get to heaven. And so there's constant room for growth and understanding this. And the Lord's helped me to grow some more in loving my Savior and what he's done for me and loving the fact that he's in heaven and accessing what he's offering to us today because he's in heaven. And so... Look again now at John 14 and verse 27 and 28. The end of 27, he says, Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So again, he's repeating that phrase multiple times here in these chapters. Verse 28, Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye loved me, ye would rejoice, because I said I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And he's, again, he's introducing, I'm about to leave you, but this is good. I'm going to my Father on your behalf. Jesus knew the disciples were going to see some pretty horrible things, some unbelievable things happen to him. And Jesus knew this would confuse and trouble them. And Jesus is also teaching his disciples the best days are yet to come after his resurrection, the days that we live in. Those days are now in this New Testament age. Jesus was with the disciples in person, teaching, training, leading them for three years. That seems like, how many of you have thought that would be great to have Jesus right here beside me, or to have lived in that day to talk with Jesus? I'm sure we've all thought that before. But as we read in John 13 to 16, Jesus wants his disciples to understand that Jesus is about to leave them, and this is good news. It's not often good news to have a friend leave you. I think there was a skit done here once at BCM called something like BCM Blitz. (laughs) I should ask, has anyone not seen that before? My half of you. For those who just raised their hand, you've heard of it before probably, right? There was a character in that skit (laughs) (laughs) named something like Otis Alexander... Thomas Overmiller, Archibald Jr. Remember that? Well, there was a few other characters in there, too. And at the end, the BCM Blitz was kind of like a game show. That was kind of what it was played off of. And the game show host at the end made a pretty funny comment. And as we were leaving the room, we'd all lost our prize and the opportunity to go to BCM in Florida. Have any of you been there? (laughs) Anyways... He, as we were exiting, he said, hey, next time you guys come to play the game, make sure you walk him backwards so that I think you're leaving. <laughs> Maybe it's a stretch of an illustration, but 
the point is it's the exact opposite of what we're finding here. He didn't want us to come back because he was playing, pretending he didn't like us. But here Jesus is somebody that we love. And it's hard for a friend that we love to say, well, that's great, you're leaving us. Thank you, Jesus, for leaving us. No, we want our friends to be with us. But in this moment, Jesus said, it's actually better for you that I'm leaving you. So that's a good thing. So I want us to see three different ways and reasons why it's good that Jesus has departed. And he is in heaven today. The first one is that Jesus was going to heaven to prepare a place for us. Look in verse 2 of John 14. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Another simple thought here to illustrate this point of Jesus going to heaven to prepare a place. So you can imagine um, maybe a father back in the early days of American history, leaves his family to go west. And he's left his family, but it's a good thing because he's going to prepare a place for them. There's free land. He's going to go develop it, build a house, have it all ready, and then bring his family. And we know that's not always a... That wouldn't be a fun thing to see your father leave, but you know it's a good thing because he's preparing a better place for you. Um, I built the house that I live in, and my wife... So we were talking about this last night, didn't always want me to go and spend time building the house because it takes away time from our relationship and family. But she knew in order for it to be done and it would be a better place for our family, it was necessary for me to spend that time doing that. So a couple different thoughts and perspectives. There's another friend of mine. Maybe you've met him. He's been coming here recently. His name is Joseph. He's from Cameroon. And he came here in 2016 to the United States to get a job and to establish a place for his family to then one day join him. And he has two little kids back home, and they've seen only a couple times. One of them's his youngest son, I think, is maybe one years old and named after him, but he hardly gets to see him. And thinking of that, that's a difficult situation. But he's here on purpose trying to get established with a better job when, where the government would allow him to bring his family, and they would all become U.S. citizens. So that's kind of the picture and image. Jesus is in heaven today preparing a better place for us. And I want you to now reflect for a moment here. If you were in the disciples' spot right here, Jesus is talking to them. So imagine yourself in that upper room with Jesus. And the next day, Jesus goes to the cross. And why does he do that? It's all part of preparing a better place for you. Then three days later, he rises from the dead. And why does he rise from the dead? Because he wants to prepare a place for you. And it's necessary, of course, for him to rise from the dead to do that. Forty days later, he goes to heaven. And this is good news again, because he is preparing a better place for you. Someday he's coming again. And that's also good news because it's finished, it's complete. He's ready for us and we can go join him. You see there in verse 2 and 3, he talks about the many mansions. And uh, so Jesus is preparing a place of many mansions for us. And literally that is an abiding place. So there is a place in heaven that God's preparing for us to one day abide and dwell in. 
And we have the privilege of looking forward to that. And that's common knowledge to us, but a simple thought, just think for a moment, if you weren't saved, you wouldn't have a place in heaven being prepared for you. That's a privilege. That's a grace of God at work in your life that Jesus is preparing a place in heaven for you. And that gives us motivation to live for him today. Really a simple point here as we transition to the next point is asking ourselves a question. Why would Jesus do all this for you? Why would he prepare a place in heaven for you? What have you done for him that would deserve that? Especially before you were saved. God's grace and his mercy, God's love, unconditional love for everybody would do that for you. And that's an amazing thought. The second point here now that we will look at and spend a little more time is Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father. So it's good news that Jesus left his disciples, went to heaven, because now he's at the right hand of God the Father. And our relationship with God is important, isn't it? It's necessary. And Jesus is helping to complete that relationship by being at the right hand of the Father. Another simple thought by way of illustration for this point is that perhaps you and your friend are a prisoner of war. Your friend is a way of escape to, or in a way to get to a higher authority, to plead your case, to work on your behalf, to be able to free you. Um, you wouldn't want your friend to leave you because you don't know how long that time is going to take, right? But you know it's better for him to leave you because he's going to go to, he has a way of access to a higher authority who can then set you free or deliver you. Simple thought or illustration. Um, also, perhaps my son is trapped. I was trying to think of a real situation. I couldn't quite think of it specifically. But this could legitimately happen. My son is trapped and desperately needs help and needs me to help set him free or deliver him. But I see him there trapped and I'm talking to him, but I realize I cannot solve the problem until I leave him to go get the proper tool to set his leg free. So he wouldn't want me to leave him. And he might not understand. He might start crying louder, and I've experienced some of those moments. Um, But it's necessary for me to go get the proper tool, okay? So that's kind of, again, a simple way of thinking about this. Jesus is in heaven today, and we don't like that. He's not right here with us, but it's better because he's at the right hand of God and accessing tools that are very important and necessary for our relationship. So let, now let's book, look at our passage here, John 14, verse 3. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. How can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also, and from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me has seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, and the words that I speak unto you I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me? He doeth the works. Believe me that I am at the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Here Philip asks a simple question to know the Father. 
How do we know the Father? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way to the Father. Don't you understand this? You want to know the Father, you got to learn to know me. So that is important aspect here of Jesus being at the right hand of God. He's right there with the Father and we can know God the Father through Jesus Christ and know the way to the Father through Jesus. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 3 through 6 give us another aspect of why this is important that Jesus is in heaven now at the right hand of God and helps us in our relationship with the Father. 1 Timothy chapter 2 Verse 3 through 6. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So for us to get to the Father, that's necessary. And Jesus is now at the right hand of God. He's our mediator. He's the one that goes between us and that relationship with the Father. Kind of the image of the high priest. Jesus is our high priest and we have access to God directly through Jesus who is one with the Father and seated at his right hand. So Jesus is our mediator. And that's an important aspect to the fact that he is in heaven at the right hand of God. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25 Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Aren't you glad Jesus is at the right hand of God? Because today he can make intercession for you. He can plead on your behalf to the Father, the judge of all the earth, the one who is holy and just. And Jesus is there as the high priest, having shed his blood, taken your place and now intercedes there at the right hand of God for us. 1 John chapter 2 gives us another aspect. 1 For myself, as I studied these and discovered some of these, and there's even more points that we could look at about why it's necessary Jesus is at the right hand of God, It's encouraging to take those moments to praise God and to dwell on that and to thank Him and have your spirit lifted and encouraged. But 1 John 2, verse 1 and 2, My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, and that's Jesus Christ the righteous. And He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus is our advocate. You know what that means? He's one who pleads on our behalf, to plead on the behalf of somebody else as an advocate. And that's what Jesus is doing. In heaven, he's at the right hand of God. If Jesus was not there because of God's great love, certainly perhaps he could have figured out another way. But the reality is, if he's not there, we would not have that advocate at the right hand of God. We wouldn't have that intercessor or that mediator or that high priest. But today we do. And the disciples are obviously still learning and we're learning and trying to understand what Jesus is talking about. But Jesus knew all this. And that's why I said, it's better for me that I go to heaven because of all this access and uh, because of Jesus working on our behalf 
there before the Father. So, one more in John chapter 14, in verse 12, we find another reason why it was necessary that Jesus is at the right hand of God. So, John 14 and verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Because Jesus is at the right hand of God, that's why today you can do greater works. And a lot could be said. I'm sure a message could be preached just on this verse, but we'll go through it simply. It's not just physical miracles. There's a spiritual aspect to this very much so. And winning souls is part of God's plan of accomplishing greater works. Prayer and miracles through prayer, that's greater works. And how much of your life is involved in those two aspects of winning souls and prayer and seeing miracles, seeing the power of God it displayed through your life. And you know, as we understand this truth that Jesus is at the right hand of God today, and because of that fact, we can see this happen, and you get a hold of that, it helps. And that's what I wanted to do this morning was to remind you, Jesus is at the right hand of God today. And he said there, because of this, because I go unto the Father, you can do greater works today. And he's trying to help his disciples see that. And obviously, as you look at the book of Acts, the disciples very much understood that and came to that understanding and accessed that reality that Jesus is at the right hand of God. And they spent time in prayer. They spent time winning souls. They spent time preaching the gospel, living their life to fulfill God's mission for their lives. And they saw greater works accomplished. John 15 and verse 16. Just the last part of the verse says that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. We have now the ability to pray directly to the Father in the name of Jesus and expect answers because Jesus is at the right hand of God. Look again at John 16, verse 23 and 24. In that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Hitherto ye have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. So at this moment, the disciples had not understood this reality, to pray in the name of Jesus. In the Old Testament, you didn't have this reality. Today we do. We have access to God the Father because Jesus is at the right hand of God, and we can pray directly to God in the name of Jesus and expect answers and expect Jesus to take that to God. In my time of prayer this morning, I was encouraged again to pray because I realized This is true. This is what Jesus said. We can go to God and get an answer because Jesus is right there taking those prayers to God. And we have access in the name of Jesus. And in Jesus' name, God wants that to be accomplished. (coughs) Um, A similar thought would be 1 Samuel 25. David sent 10 of his men to ask something of Nabal. I just read that in my devotions the other day as well. And So they went to Nabal in the name of David, asking a request, and you know Nabal didn't accept the request or offer it, but God took care of that, and Nabal's wife, I suppose being more righteous, took care of that as God worked. 
But uh, that's kind of the idea, going in the name of Jesus or going in the name of an authority greater than you. And we can do that today because Jesus is at the right hand of God. So it's a new and powerful way of praying that the disciples had not yet experienced. And as I mentioned, they did experience that in the book of Acts. And the question for application is, have you experienced this power? Have you experienced praying in the name of Jesus and expecting and seeing and knowing that God answers prayer? And obviously, we all have room to grow because we have not fully arrived and fully experienced that to its greatest degree. But let's ask God to help us. Let's, when we, next time you go to prayer, recognize we're going to God through Jesus. And he's ready to hear our prayers and we can expect him to answer. Our third point here this morning, the last point, is that Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit And this is good news for us. It's better for us that Jesus has left us because he's now sent us the Holy Spirit. In verse 7 of chapter 16, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient. It's really good for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So the Holy Spirit, and now we'll look at several different aspects of the Holy Spirit and what he is. And again, there's much more that could be covered about this point. But I have three, I guess, sub-points here that uh, Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit and this is good for us. It's better for us that Jesus left and sent us the Holy Spirit. Now we have a comforter. His name not only is the Holy Spirit, but he has lots of names. One of them is the comforter. John 14, verse 16 to 20, I want you to see this. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. The comforter is going to abide with you forever. Jesus couldn't be with his disciples all the time. Remember, they're out on the sea, and they see a spirit, they think, walking to them on the water, and they're troubled. They didn't have the comforter. They didn't have the Holy Spirit in that moment. So, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. That's a great reality to understand. We have the Holy Spirit every moment. And he's actually telling these disciples not to worry, don't be troubled, don't fear. We'll look at some of that again here in just a moment. But we don't have to do that today because we have the Holy Spirit. You can live life free of worry and fear and trouble. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live. Ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, And I in you. And so actually, in reality, Jesus is not leaving them. He's coming back in the form of the Holy Spirit. And now we have access to all three of the Trinity inside of us because the Holy Spirit represents the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is trying to help his disciples see this reality. So we need the Comforter, don't we? There's lots of trouble in the world and lots of cause and reason to worry and fear. Maybe you did that this morning as you approached class. But we have a comforter and we need him. He reveals truth because he is truth. He's the spirit of truth. 
he dwells inside of us and Jesus will actually not leave us because he's with, he and the Holy Spirit and the Father are all one and now dwell inside of us as verse 20 tells us. So that's an amazing reality to have the comforter and all those aspects and truths and realities that come with that very fact. The Holy Spirit also dwells inside of us. We briefly mentioned that, but Acts chapter 7 and verse 55 talks about an example specifically of a New Testament believer. His name was Stephen. And he, being full of the Holy Ghost, lifted up his eyes and it's approaching the moment of his death. But I'm just bringing out that point because there's a specific verse that shows there's a man that was filled with the Holy Ghost. Ephesians chapter 1 talks about being sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise in verse 13. And this Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And you can now be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and you can be filled every moment. That's actually really good news as well, to have the Holy Spirit living inside of you to be filled inside your life. If you're filled with the Spirit, then you can walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And you see, before this time, before Jesus went to heaven and before Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, the disciples in the Old Testament didn't fully realize and understand this truth. But today, we have access to this. And I understand In one sense, we don't have that transition stage like the disciples did from not having it to now having it. We have the privilege of having it all of our lives that we've been saved. So there's a little bit of a difference in understanding here. The disciples went through that transition stage. And in that moment of first understanding this, wow, in Acts chapter 2, there was a lot of power. Um, The disciples had spent time in prayer and access God. And I, I was also thinking of that just for a moment. Let's reflect those disciples are going through this transition stage. Jesus is, they're, they're beginning to understand what Jesus is talking about and how he's left them. And they just saw the crucifixion and they realize this is all for them. And they're beginning to realize in a much deeper way God's love for them. And he's left them. And they have these truths of that it was necessary for them, for Jesus to leave them. And so they're beginning to understand. And you can imagine they're looking for the Holy Spirit now in this promise. And so you could almost understand naturally for 10 days, let's seek God because we need that Holy Spirit that he was talking about. We're longing for that. And that's what happened there in Acts chapter 1. They were longing for that and they spent those 10 days praying, fasting and seeking for God to show up in their lives because he was gone from them. And just a few moments later, after those 10 days of prayer, the Holy Spirit comes and enters in and there's a new way of living that we have access to. And I trust that God would work on our hearts to help us to understand we have that reality all the days of our life. Since the moment we're saved, we, can, we need to continue to long for Jesus like those disciples experienced. Jesus had left them. And now they're longing for that Holy Spirit to come. And He did come. And many of them never lost that reality of experiencing Jesus and understanding that life of prayer. The Apostle Paul is a great example of that. And uh, it's a challenge to me to stop and think, how much do I really long for Jesus in that relationship and that power of the Holy Spirit through my life? I think that in this college, I'm pretty sure that most of you have that heart, but certainly we all have room to grow. 
and to long for that more and to understand that reality and that power. So we don't have to live fulfilling the lust of the flesh because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us who can fill us. And that leads us to the next important job of the Holy Spirit, and that is the Holy Spirit enables us to live life more abundantly. John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus says, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And I think that that picture, the wording more, life more abundantly, that's a great picture. Picture a, a fresh sp- fountain of spring water that tastes wonderful and it constantly overflows and is abounding. And that's the Holy Spirit. He wants to give life more abundantly. And to live more abundantly is to live filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. And again, I think that's a reality we all want to have. The Holy Spirit helps us keep the commandments. And if you were to imagine looking at the Sermon on the Mount for these disciples, there was no way they could keep that message. There's no way they could live that. But living life more abundantly, it's the job of the Holy Spirit to come alongside and to help us to keep God's commandments, to help us love God. If you love me, keep my commandments. And so now because of access to the Holy Spirit and Him living inside of us, we can look at a message like the Sermon on the Mount and expect to live it because we have someone who's going to enable us. We have somebody, God Himself, living inside of us. The one who gave the truth and the one who gave the commandments is now inside of us helping us to live it and to complete it. For example, looking at those, the Sermon on the Mount to be salt and a light. Can, are you a constant light all of your life? No, that's impossible. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can. The high standard of righteousness, humanly, that's impossible, but not with God, as he enables us to worry about food and clothing instead of seeking after God. Have you ever worried about that before? Have you ever worried about paying your college bills or worried about finances in some way? When you, when you rest in the fact that the Holy Spirit lives inside of me, He's my comforter, He's my enabler, isn't that encouraging in those moments? Instead of worry and fear, you can trust. In order to live this life, we have to have the help of the Holy Spirit and live filled with Him. He reveals to us the truth and the Word of God as well. John 14 and verse 26, or verse 24, it says, He that loveth me not, Keepeth not my saints. And the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Isn't that a blessing to have the Holy Spirit today to teach us all things, all the truths that Jesus wants us to learn? All the realities that God wants us to understand, we have a helper, the Holy Spirit, to help us with those, uh, with that understanding. 1 Corinthians 2, 11 to 16 also gives us a familiar or a similar um, point, but for sake of time, we'll not look at that. 1 Corinthians 2, 11 to 16, if you want to write that down. Then the last aspect here is that he helps us have the very mind of Christ. John 14 and verse 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. He said specifically, My peace I give unto you. Did Jesus live full of peace? Did he ever worry? Was he ever 
frustrated or uh, doubting, none of that. His life was full of peace because of a rest and a relationship with his God, his Father. And he said, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. You probably know these verses. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us to understand that peace that Jesus was giving his disciples. John 15 and verse 9 gives us another um, mind of Christ that the Holy Spirit helps us. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. The love of Christ is understood and we can experience that through the help of the Holy Spirit. And we can then love others because we have God himself Jesus, the love of God inside of us. John 15 and verse 11. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. We like to live life happy, don't we? Not sad. And the greatest joy comes from Jesus and the Holy Spirit living inside of you to help you experience and understand that joy. Also, another mind of Christ is humility. Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And how can you have a life of humility? That's impossible, but now with the help of the Holy Spirit, and he's living inside of you, so you can. The list really could go on. What areas do you need the Holy Spirit to help you and to have the mind of Christ? Maybe there's an area I didn't touch on, but God's Spirit is touching your heart. And you recognize, wait a minute, I have the Holy Spirit, so I don't have to live that way in my life. I can experience the mind of Christ and his glory and his perfection because I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. We don't necessarily have the same experience these disciples had in knowing Jesus, seeing him go to the cross, then rise again, then ascend up to heaven. But we do have the privilege of knowing Jesus in the best way. And this is the fact that he's in heaven. He's accomplishing for us all that we just discussed. We have the word of God and it's complete. And we can know Jesus. As a result, we can know the Father. And we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We know that Jesus is in heaven preparing a mansion for us. We know Jesus is seated at the right hand of God for us. He's sent to us the Holy Spirit and we can be filled every day with him. We have the great privilege um, and we need to know this position and live in it every day, don't we? And I think that's our heart cry. And this is when we will see greater works, the power of God in our ministry and daily life, divine appointments, the power of miracles in prayer, seeing God's expectations accomplished through our life and not just our small expectations. And the list and the ideas could go on of all that we could see when we access this. And so I trust as we conclude here that the the thoughts and the truths that we've looked at will help encourage you today. We have the Holy Spirit. Jesus is at the right hand of God. There's a wonderful place God's preparing for you. And we need to live longing for that relationship to grow in each of our lives.